obviously we're going to have a legacy in that down the line people will be saying why was the movie scramble podcast not popular <laughs> because it's, it's so good <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the <laughs> the Movie Scramble podcast. I am John. For those people who think they, they recognise the voice from somewhere in the distant past, and today I am joined by one of my superb colleagues. Unfortunately, Thomas is elsewhere. We have our lovely Mary. Mary, how are you doing? How's things? I am so glad to be back podding with you. I have missed, I've missed you, I've missed Simmy, I've missed our one listener. I'm just really oh. excited to be, I'm just really excited to be back chatting about films and I hope everybody's glad to have us back as well. Brilliant. Apologies for our regular listener who has obviously been pining away and wondering what the hell has happened. We, you know, how, did we all get caught in a tsunami or something? You know, the possibilities are endless, especially when you're talking about movie movie stories. So apologies, everyone, for the enforced absence over the last couple of months. It's been scheduling and all sorts of things, trying to get us together in a room. So hopefully this will be the start of us doing a wee bit more regular Absolutely. chats, which will be very nice. I know everybody's keen to get back. It's just life basically getting in the way sometimes so today we are going to be talking about two films we are going to be talking later on about the banshees of inisherin but first off we are going to talk about the 2022 horror film barbarian now barbarian is directed by zach Kreffer. it stars Regina campbell bill skarsgård and justin long it is, it's almost like a classic combination film here. You're talking about uh, a woman, Tess, played by Georgina Campbell, who turns up at an Airbnb in a rundown area of Detroit late at night, only to find that the place is double booked and the guy that opens the door is the actor that played Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> Right Honestly, that is, it's, it's the casting. Just the one thing I will say, just when you're going through your synopsis, the casting could not have been any better for this. So it's almost like a horror checklist that you've got right there. You've got Run Down Detroit. You've got known horror characters, and you have women alone in peril. So Tess reluctantly decides to come into the house in order to try and sort out the problem because she does feel very wary about it, but it's it's a horrible night and everything and she just wants to try and get it sorted. So she does go in and they can't get through to the, the letting agents to try and figure out what's going on. And then she decides to stay the night. Now, so far so many horror cliches you think you know exactly what's going to go what's going on here but then it doesn't quite work out that way it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a surprise it was a surprise to me given that this film went along exactly how i thought for about 45 minutes and then the rug was pulled away from me and then almost immediately the rug was pulled away from me again you're going okay 
what the hell's going on here? But so much for my introduction. Mary, what were your initial thoughts on Barbarian? Do you know, I completely agree with you. See, for the first like 45 minutes to an hour, I was like, oh my God, this is one of the most compelling horrors I've ever seen. She's literally in the house. Like, I was just waiting for him to do the weekend eye thing, right? And just unhinge his bottom jaw and swallow her whole. <laughs> I was like, this is so bloody scary. Like every creak of the floor, like every, you know, sort of movement or whatever. I was like, oh my God, something's going to happen. And you were so tense because it had just built up this you know these two complete strangers and this you know seemingly with a booking mix-up and you're like but is it a booking mix-up or whatever and there was just no way you were trusting this guy right you know from the from the offset you were like there's something wrong here but I couldn't ever work out what that wrong thing was and then after about 45 minutes it goes completely batshit and then you think you've sort of found your feet again with it and then it's just like curveball after curve I mean I honestly got to a stage where I was like, what the fuck is going to happen next? Like, there's no way this can go off in any other direction. And I think for me, personally speaking, the first 45 minutes were definitely my my favourite sort of part of the film, as it were, because I thought the tension was built really properly. The curveballs were fun in the sense that they kind of brought you sort of in and out of it. But I just, I felt there was a better movie in there for the, for the first mm-hmm. bit of it. And it, then it kind of went off a bit left field. But, I mean, there's loads to talk about, so that's the good thing. Yeah, it has been described as uh, a David Fincher Fincher film above and a Sam Raimi film below for very good reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Which, actually, it's it's a very, very good description of where where things actually go. Yeah, I I slightly disagree with you on the, the first part of it. I think that... If it had just continued the way it was, then it would have taken a bit of a dip because it was using sort of fairly standard horror tropes. I I, I liked the fact that you were always looking to catch him out. You were always, you know, like she would go in and he would say, you know, do you want a glass of wine? And she would go, uh, no, and he'd say, look... I'll open the bottle in front of you and take a drink so that you don't think I'm trying to slip anything into your drink. And you're thinking, okay, right, so you tick that one off, right? He's not going to try that. And then she says, you know, oh, obviously about like the booking mix-up and all that, and she tries to phone and he tries to phone. And then she says, oh, I've got this booking reference here, you know, do you have anything like that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, here you go, yeah, it's right here, you know, that sort of stuff. And then obviously when they're, they're sleeping later on and she gets woken up, she hears a noise and she, you think, oh, no, oh, it's him, you know. But he's lying sleeping in the couch, you know, and she actually scares him. So, yeah. it's, you know, you're waiting for like the shoe to drop here. And it doesn't because they keep giving you excuses for, you know, he's not the guy, he's not the guy. But even then, you're thinking, it must be very clever. It must be, you know, oh, it must 100%. Be yeah, I was looking for, because when he said to her about the wine, and he was like, because I know she doesn't touch her tea. And I was like, oh, it's in the tea. He's put the roofies in the tea. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, he, he leaves her, like, the note the next day, and you sort of breathe a sigh of relief because it's daylight. And you're like, oh, thank God, nothing bad ever happens in daylight. And then even just the whole the whole dynamic between them when, spoilers, she discovers something is, is not right in the, the basement. And he's like, just like, just come down with me and check. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to lock her in the basement and keep her prisoner. This is where this is going. Because, it, I mean, they were, they were, I mean, obviously they are spoon feeding you this stuff to make you think yes. that he is. And obviously, as I say, the casting is so perfect because he literally is, you know, he's Pennywise the clown for fuck's sake. Like, mm-hmm. you weren't, you weren't going into this thing 
he'll he'll be a he'll be a, the sort of the savior or a good character or whatever you you go in with that previous horror knowledge thinking you're waiting for something to happen yeah yeah it's used against you which is always very clever there's been i've seen a few films like that where they subvert expectations based on the fact that everybody's seen so many horror films now mm-hmm. there's very like it's it's the same with a lot of films that you see. If uh, I always think, if you see the, the likes of a John Wick film, and it's the mm-hmm. very first sort of action film you've ever seen, you're going to say that's the best film in the world. How can you top that? But then you see, you know, forty years of other action films, and you see where it's taken all its references from, things like that. You go, ah, okay, right. It may be very good, but it may not be the best anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of the same idea. It's taken a lot of reference points. That everybody yeah. knows and saying what do you what do you think and the, the likes of is i mean you, you you've got like the, the scary stranger you've got the possibility of a haunted house you've got a rundown area detroit parts of detroit are obviously a total mess they have been for years not saying the whole city is i know it's not that's not the case but it's using all these ideas that have been around for a while and it's very clever in the way that it uses it oh 100 and i don't know if it's maybe just because of sort of recent you know sort of like murders and stuff that have happened you know like girls who were you know out running or, or walking home by themselves and stuff and there's obviously been a lot of focus on you know she was just out for or she was just walking home all that sort of thing so i felt like i also went into it with this thing of you know Tess comes to the door and she's by herself and you know she can't get through to anyone and this guy seems on the surface nice and he's doing all the right things but it was like I I feel like I also brought the knowledge of you know stuff that's happened in the news and in real life recently where you're like all your red flags are like you know they're going up and you feel like you're really on edge because you're like and I felt like her character portrayed that as well because, you know, she's checking the phone and she's checking his ID and she's making sure that he's doing things, you know, as they pouring the wine in front of her and stuff like that. And I felt like it was kind of, there was a lot of sort of, I don't know, this undercurrent of just like everything that's gone on maybe in the in the recent past that I felt like you brought with you to the film to go, yeah, she's a girl by herself. This is dangerous. Like this is like, you know, red flag central and Pennywise or not. This is a let's. This is two strangers by themselves. She's a girl and she's mm-hmm. smaller and she's physically a lot smaller than him because obviously he's like six foot whatever. Just I just felt all of their conversations and even just when they were standing talking to everything just felt so loaded to me and I just thought that was so well executed because I felt it really played on quite realistic fears. You know, if you're a female mm-hmm. by yourself and you turned up at a location and another male in particular was there, you would not. Yeah, you know, it, it was it, it was just it was so well done. I thought it was really really well done. Yeah, I mean, it was awkward as well because if you think about mm-hmm. it, there's two people who's never actually met and they're trying to have conversations about, mm-hmm. you know, a, a situation. There's, there's obviously a mix up. It's going to be awkward because you don't know. There's very few people who can actually just strike up a conversation and make it seem very easy. So it is very awkward as well as frightening at the same time. Mm-hmm. But you you mentioned obviously. Like sort of current events. Now, there is a part in this film where it switches from one story into a second story, and that yes. second story is very much on point for what is going on at the moment. It basically involves a film actor or television actor who is then accused of rape mm-hmm. or and very inappropriate behaviour. When this second story starts, you kind of go, What's, what's actually happening here? Mm-hmm. Now, 
with this character, he is completely unsympathetic. He oh, yeah. He's just, he's just horrible. He's only just out for himself. And it's just, it's a, a really sort of delicious role for somebody to play. And Justin Long does it real, sort of, it, it, he's really, really good at it. Apparently, Zach Efron was supposed to play that part. Oh, see, that, <clears throat> that almost takes on a different spin because you look at it and you look at, Bill Skarsgård and as I say, we bring the horror knowledge with us as well but also just physically he just looks like more of a threat. Justin Long almost is kind of this sort of like kind of geeky but still polished yeah. but he doesn't yeah, yeah. he has this kind of harmless sort of jovial kind of aura about him and then yeah the minute the sort of accusation comes in he's like well she's a fucking bitch and you're like oh my god you mm. are a horrible pet like straight away you're just like you know, if, that, if you were genuinely, you know, shocked or whatever, you'd be like, why is she, you know, I'm so sorry, why is she saying this or whatever, that never happened. But straight away, he's like, no, she's a bitch and she's a liar. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay, here's the bad guy, as it were, in inverted commas, like, here's the guy I'm supposed to hate. You know, here's all the red flags, as it were. And I think sometimes for me, it felt a little bit on the nose, I won't lie, but, you know, yeah. given the sort of, you know, hyperbole of how horror films often work, he gets away with it, as it were. That, mm-hmm. that kind of character, that kind of really overt characterization, but yeah, I think it was. It's interesting for, in terms of the writing and stuff like that, that that's the kind of themes that they've chosen to sort of go after. Because for me, the as I say, the first part of it is very topical in terms of you know women alone at, at night, all that sort of thing. But then to bring in such another really controversial, you know, sort of hot potato topic and sort of bring it into the same film, I was like, wow, this is quite a strong. You know, I'm surprised that little angry white boys haven't come out on Twitter and said this film's anti-man or whatever. <laughs> you know, I've not seen anything like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's much of a case for them to argue. Uh, yeah, here because it is a wee angry man. There's there's nothing really. You know, it's kind of laid out quite clearly that the film itself is not on his side when it comes to yeah. this. He's he's portrayed particularly badly and correctly obviously like you say he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's a wee shit so um mm-hmm. he, he shouldn't be uh, have any sort of redeeming qualities and things like that and that is compounded as the the story goes on like uh, i i wouldn't spoil how the the two stories actually merge but when mm-hmm. when he's further on and things like that and he sees some of the same things downstairs and the first mm-hmm. th- first thing he thinks of is this is extra square footage in the house. This is brilliant. <laughs> I must admit that did get a chuckle at the cinema, but I think it was almost like a kind of nerve. Like, do you know what I mean? You're looking for the release and you're yeah. looking for the nervous laughter. I think people were kind of, because again, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene in a nightclub where he sort of reveals a little bit more about himself and you're just like, fuck, this film is making me feel like dirty. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was mm-hmm. so like, just a, a really odious character and then yeah you do get the sort of relatively light relief where he's downstairs with the tape measure going trying to work out square footage in his head and I think people did sort of raise a chuckle at that at the cinema but yeah it was it, it, again it was kind of over the top sort of grossness but it it was tempered I think really well with the fact that there was this dark side to him that you did get to see and you did get to hear and then the sort of almost comedy badness as it were where he's as i say down the stairs with the the measuring tape yeah there was also some quite interesting sort of technical aspects of this film there was 
various aspect ratio changes as different scenes were unfolding. But there was also a very subtle change in the way that it was actually filmed as well between the two floors. When it was up on the, the top floor of the Airbnb, it was more sort of a standard setup. It was fixed cameras and, you know, two shots and all this sort of stuff. But then when you go downstairs, it became more handheld, which obviously it made it more enclosed and more suffocating as well because of the way the camera's right up in somebody's face and it's always moving about and all that. I thought that was very, very clever. And when they did that in conjunction with uh, some terrific sound design and the score as well, it's just, it worked very well together. It was all blended very, very nicely indeed. It was very, very impressive, I thought, which again, elevates the film more than just having like a sort of a, few stabs of strings and then a quiet quiet bang moment if you can get if you can stay away from that then you're going to have a much more effective film because you're not signposting where things are actually going yeah and as i say that this is why i think the first sort of the 45 minutes or whatever really worked for me because there was no jump scares it was mm-hmm. you know maybe a door creaking or something you were sort of just maybe naturally a bit on edge but yeah no i totally agree that when they moved downstairs i must admit and i'd I didn't think of myself as particularly claustrophobic or anything like that. But the further they go downstairs, the more I was like, I feel a bit sick. <laughs> Those walls are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And of course, you're getting closer and closer and closer to whoever the actor is. And they're using what I thought was quite clever was they were using their phones as light as well. So you are getting yeah. that sort of it's a very natural thing. We do use our phones for everything and actually using it as a torch to look about, I thought worked really well. But yeah, um, I must admit, because you could almost feel how sort of damp the walls were and it was you know very it just felt mm. like this sort of womb-like enclosure which in itself is fitting for you know the main themes of the story but yeah it almost it starts off with this kind of sinister thing where you're thinking okay one thing's happening downstairs and then obviously it takes you off in a, a whole different curveball but you're right it was it was really really well executed and again this sort of blend of as you say bringing that horror knowledge bring, you know bringing that sort of kind of found footagey type you know, horror monster movie type of ideal to that particular segment of the film. It 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 works. I just yeah, as I say, I just thought the first hour or so was more entertaining. And to me that was a kind of that was almost the better horror film. Yeah. So what did you think of the performances then from the two main leads? So I thought Georgia Campbell as Georgina Campbell, sorry, as Tess was excellent. Like I just thought she, you know, as I say, I'm looking at her as you know, I'm a, I'm a woman too, and I'm going, to, you know, if I fuck if I went to an Airbnb at night and I was by myself, and you know, I, it, it, I've traveled for work stuff, you know, alone before, and I just, I, I always remember there's a tension when you go into a room or whatever by yourself, and you do, you lock the door and you make sure your bags up against her or whatever, and I felt she was so relatable in the sense that. It was just rippling with all of the, as I say, the, the stuff that's happened in the news. I thought she, you know, she played it so well. She's wary of of Keith, that's, you know, Bill Skarsgård's character. And, you know, she just, I just felt it was really natural and it wasn't like this kind of, you know, screaming, hysterical woman type of thing. It was definitely just a kind of, just a wariness that was always on the surface, but played mm-hmm. you know, really well. And as I say, Bill Skarsgård, you know, God love him, no matter how, he was like, I'll make you a hot tea or look, you can show me opening the wine. I was just like, just do the eye thing and get it over. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was interesting, definitely an interesting role for him because, you know, 
you look at the Pennywise stuff, you look at the new trailers for John Wick, he's obviously playing some particular kind of asshole in that as well. Like this is a this is a really unusual role because he can play it with all of the sort of nudges and, and winks and is this drugged, is this not? But ultimately you have to make up your mind as to what type of person Keith is. And that would be, for me, I think as an actor, that would be interesting to go, okay, am I playing this straight and he is just a nice guy or am I playing it loaded with all of this? You know, mm-hmm. oh, is he doing drugs? I, I, I thought they worked so, so well together. And yeah, more of Georgina Campbell. She was excellent. Really, really liked her. Yeah, she was very good in this. I saw her recently in uh, an Apple TV thing called Suspicion, which mm-hmm. was not particularly great. Started off very well. That was a story about five people who were accused of kidnapping a, a teenage boy. And then there's all sorts of stuff that goes on around that they're accused of basically trying to blackmail this industrialist into telling or giving out some secrets that they they've got as well but it went on far too long it was only eight episodes and it was just it could have been done in about like four or six apparently it was based on an israeli tv show of the same name but she was okay in it but Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot that wasn't particularly okay and unfortunately everybody gets tarred with the same brush with that but yes here she is particularly excellent i think both of them they they didn't overplay the role it was all it was all very minimal though obviously because there was a certain tension and obviously she was a bit reticent about giving up anything about herself that uh, she was quite closed off and in a way he was as well he was trying his best but he was trying not to be overly friendly because then that obviously leads to all sorts of issues as or it can lead to all sorts of issues as well if he comes across as being almost like too close and everything that's as awkward as being you know slightly shy and everything so mm-hmm. yeah i thought both of them were particularly good and it just shows the the range that they both have that they can do things like this and yet especially with bill skarsgård because he can go big and he can go small he was this is a sort of similar role that he had to just in terms of the performance in castle rock the stephen king drama. He, he was in that and it, it was very dialed down his role in that um to begin with so it's 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 along the same sort of lines as that and it was you know it just shows his range and as as you say he's going to show his range even more as potentially a bad guy i don't think that's really up up for debate (laughs) in the 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 new john wick film based on the trailers we can say that he's he's you know going to be his pal in that i don't think (laughs) no i i think Honestly, I just I was really as I say I really enjoyed that, and as I say, you the the Justin Long character in contrast to those two probably is a bit more oh, yeah. over yeah. the over the top or whatever. But I think that it's it's obviously playing with that, and as I say, I mean I'm I'm very interested in the sort of the the gender politics and the setup of this film in general. But I think you know it's it is it's playing around with you know who's the nice guy, who's the bad guy, all that sort of thing, and then you know what are the consequences of you know, bad behaviour, as it were, or bad guy's behaviour. And I did like what it was doing with that and some of the messages it tried to get across. Some of the messages I was really conflicted about. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go I don't want to go into spoilers, but yeah, some of the, the messaging I thought was a bit men writing women, if you've ever spent time on that Reddit thread. <laughs> some yeah. of the messaging was a bit I, I, it sort of undid all of the good stuff, but I definitely think that the the actors did such a stellar job with, you know, playing it exactly as it needed to be played in order mm-hmm. to 
play around with horror tropes, play around with, you know, the sort of gender politics idea, and also just to play around with the idea of what a horror is and who good characters and bad characters really are. So I thought the, the performances were all, you know, really, really, everyone was, you know, bringing their, their A game, as it were. Excellent. Um, I think we've pretty much covered it, to be to be perfectly honest here. Um, yeah. Myself, yes, I would def- definitely recommend Barbarian as something that obviously you can't catch it with the cinema anymore. I think it's if it's there, it's oh, it's just no. hanging on. Yeah. Uh, but it will be coming to streaming platforms uh, relatively quickly, I would imagine. It's well worth seeking out. It's a pretty good film. You think so? Do you know? Do you know? I would absolutely recommend it. And part of me wants to watch it again because, having thought about it and reflected on it, I still maintain the first bit is the best bit of the movie. But there's mm-hmm. so much. There's there's a lot of layers to it, and actually, it's worth unpicking a bit more. So, absolutely, I would recommend people to to watch it. But don't maybe go sort of go into it willing to sort of have your expectations subverted. I think that's the best bit of advice. Yes, I go in with an open mind. Try not to use too much of your previous horror knowledge. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you will <laughs> you will be surprised, which is always a good thing. Okay, right, we shall move on. The second film we are going to discuss today is The Banshees of Inisherin. The film is directed by Martin McDonough. It stars Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, Kerry Condon and Barry Keogh. It's been billed in some of the publicity as... The return of the team that brought you in Bruges, given that McDonough, Farrell and Gleeson all starred in that. But this is a very different beast to that. The film is set on a fictional Irish island of Inisherin in 1923. It's a small community, people who have known each other for years and years, and they are just going on with life while on the mainland the civil war is raging away, which is brought to screen by the distant sound of gunfire and cannon fire and things like that. And occasionally it stops and occasionally it goes back on. And it has no bearing on the lives of the people on the island. Things like, say, this is almost like a sleepy bee island. People know each other for a long, long time. And Patrick, played by Colin Farrow, and Colm, Brendan Gleeson have been friends for what seems like a lifetime and they're in their wee routine of they go to the pub, they chat and they just go on until one day where Patrick goes to collect Colm in order to go to the pub and finds he's not there and then finds him later on at the pub and Colm turns around and says to him, I don't want to be a friend anymore. And things basically kick off in a quite a low-key way, but things kick off from there. Padraig can't understand why, because they've always been friends. And <laughs> as several of the locals have uh, said to him, have you been rowing? He says, no, no, I don't think we've been rowing. And it, it, this is basically Colm coming to the realisation that he's not getting any younger. He has no legacy. There's nothing for him to pass on and he, he feels that that's very important that there should be something to show for his life he doesn't have a family he lives in his own well he lives with his dog and he wants to do something and he he's decided that he's not going to waste his time on meaningless conversations with people who 
can't contribute to what he is trying to achieve in his last and final days. Now, he's not dying. He's not been diagnosed with anything, but he's just come to realisation that he wants to do something. And from there, the drama expands as Patrick tries to figure out why he's doing it. And Colm initially is quite sympathetic. He tries to put him down gently, tries to basically fob him off, only to find that Patrick, <laughs> Patrick is a little more persistent and things kind of get out of hand from there. Mary, what were your initial impressions of the Banshees of Inisherin? So this is going to make it sound like a ridiculous comparison, but I had the same sort of cut me to my core reaction to this film as I did with The Worst Person in the World. Mm-hmm. because there's a kind of similar sort of thing of, you know, what if I had done this and what if I'd done that? And this sort of despair of not knowing what to do with your life and not being sure if you've made the right decisions to date. So I oh, I just fell in love with this film. I just, the sort of layer of melancholy that sort of lives over everything, this kind of notion of, you know, what do I leave behind? You know, have I made the right choices? And this awareness of your own mortality as well, I think, and sort of tied up in this kind of semi sort of, you know, kind of Celtic mysticism and this notion of, you know, obviously like Highland Banshees and this idea of, you know, there's the creepy elderly woman in the village who seems to know everything and when it's going to happen. I just absolutely, I loved the despair of it all. I know that sounds really grim, but I actually, I, I loved how much it took my breath away. And that's kind of what I felt, as I say, when I was watching The Worst Person in the World, is I just, I felt like I'd been wounded afterwards. I was like, God, that's so, that really, you know, that hurts to think about those kind of things. It's the same kind of effect here. The guy's basically having this sort of, you know, existentialist crisis. And as you say, he's not been told he's dying. He's not sick. You know, there's nothing. He's just suddenly become aware of, but when I'm gone, what happens? And I think that's, you know, there's not a single person in this life who can say they have breezed through life and not thought about that. And I just, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. A banshee, for people who don't know, is a fairy from Irish mythology. It's usually someone who heralds or foretells of a death, usually by screaming and wailing, as in the cries of the banshees and things like that. But in this case, all the screaming is more internalised rather than actually out on screen. Um, the old woman that you mentioned is obviously the the banshee substitute in this film because she at one point foretells that she says, there's going to be a death. And they'll go, oh, there you go, stupid old woman, you know. Mm-hmm. But whether she's right or not, you need to watch the film to find out. <laughs> so obviously we, we have two main characters here who they seem very easy together. There's obviously a shared history between them. Now, what do you make of the fact that, or do you agree with Colm's assertion that you have to leave something? There has to be something left behind in order for your life to have any meaning. Like in his case, he wanted his music to be left. So he created, he's creating a song, writing a song, Mm -hmm. which turns out to be called the Banshees of Inisherin as well. A nice wee touch, it just kind of mixes it all in with the, the whole big story. But do you think he was actually right in what he was trying to do? 
Do you know, I don't know if he would, I don't know if it's a case of right or wrong, but I think all of us have ego enough to to have Pon, especially because you look at you look at Colm and you look at Porrick and you know they, they neither of them have children. You know, they're living on this tiny little island. And again, as you said, there's a whole civil war happening on the mainland that literally doesn't touch them. It's not surprising that these two men at various points in the film feel insignificant or feel mm-hmm. like they have no agency or, you know, in, in Colm's case, no legacy. I, I, as I say, I don't know if it's a case of, of right or wrong, but I think all of us, all of us have at least pondered at least once, you know, will anyone remember me or something like that? I think that's, you know, or if you've ever, you know, lost a relative or whatever, it's this idea of you keep talking about them to keep the memory alive and all that sort of thing. I think that his, and again, I don't want to give away too much, but, you know, there's scenes between Calm and a parish priest where he talks, you know, he says, how's the despair? And he goes, ah, it's back again. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everything clicked for me and I was like, oh my God, is this like a like a suicide thing? Is, is this why he knows the end is coming? Why he's so desperate to leave something behind? Because he's so trapped in his own mind. And obviously the irony of them being an island where literally you can leave and go anywhere, but they all feel so trapped in this this one particular space. I think that for, for Colm, it's less about, it's almost less about leaving the music behind and more about taking a little bit of control back about who he is and who he wants to be remembered as, as opposed to, you know, one half of the double act that all of the, the villagers and stuff see him as. I think it's about securing mm-hmm. something for himself as opposed to being part of the two. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. It, it does seem a little selfish in the way that he goes about it and just... Oh, it's horrible! He's a total shit off, with his friend, yeah! Cutting, cutting him off completely, just saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Because that's no, no matter who you do that. Obviously, the character of Patrick is made out to be a, a more of a simple soul. He's not. He's not an idiot. By no means is he an idiot. He knows what's what's happening, but he doesn't understand because friendships is based on mutual admiration and Ooh. the ability to to talk to each other. And then suddenly, that's taken away for something that he hasn't done. There's no reason as far as he can see behind it. And that's obviously what starts to increase the the tension actually within the story because he is trying to figure out what is actually going on and mm-hmm. why it's going on. And at first, he, he tries different methods. He tries to reconcile with him, tries to be his friend, and it doesn't work. And then he's told, well, maybe you have to seize the moment. You have to be the angry one. So he tries that, and that doesn't work either. So <laughs> it, it it spirals out of control that way. But I really liked the fact that even though Patrick is a simple soul, he's not one-dimensional, he's not two-dimensional, he's like fully formed. He he does what he does because it's it's a comfort to him. He likes the life he's living. It's it's very straightforward. He he likes going to the pub in the afternoon after he's finished his work and he likes chatting to people and he likes just getting on. He's got no real ambitions outside of that, but he doesn't feel slighted because of that. Now, everybody else around him have their issues, obviously. Calm has his sister, who he lives with. Uh, they've lived in the same wee sort of two-bed cottage for years since the parents died and they've just kept on he's perfectly happy to do that his sister on the other hand no she's she is almost cursed with the same intelligence as calm she 
thinks a wee bit more deeply about things. She reads books. She has a greater understanding of the world and she wants to be involved in it. So she has her own problems the same way that Calm has problems. And there's the other character of Dominic, who is initially portrayed as being the sort of village idiot mm-hmm. character. And then when you get into his story a, bit, a wee bit, you realise why he acts the way he does mm-hmm. because it deflects from all the, the shit that's going on in his life as well, which is frankly horrible, the stuff. And this is all just sort of side stories to this main mm-hmm. sort of friendship. And you're going, this this happened really subtly. <laughs> it, was, it, it was It's it's not all thrown at you the one time. It's over the course of about an hour. You, you get all these wee side stories just dripping in. Uh, you get to understand... Project, you get to understand that he's a really nice guy because he understands that a lot of the time people just want somebody to talk to and they want a bit of comfort. And when he can't get that from Colm, he gets that from Jenny, his donkey, who he keeps bringing into the house <laughs> because it's cold outside and she <laughs> likes the company, you know. <laughs> so it's yeah. actually a, quite a layered film. When you, when you look at it at the start, you, you think it's, it's going to be quite a sort of straightforward story beautifully shot beautifully made but it's going to be quite straightforward but it's not it's really really deep it's then and it's so much better for that but it's a film that you have to pay attention to you can't it's not one of these films that you can sit at home and just watch and have something else in the go at the same time you could be you know doing your sudoku on your phone or whatever because you'll get halfway through the film and you'll be going what why, why, is, why is he doing that? What's happening there? What, you know, because you really need to get into the flow of it in order yeah. to pick up all the wee bits because it's all very subtly done. There's no great speech after 20 minutes, uh, which gives no. you all the exposition you need. You need to get into the flow of village life, of what it's yeah. like to live and work. And, you know, literally the whole, you know, going to the other side of the island to get your groceries with the nosy old bitches opening all your mail before you get <laughs> it. Like, you need, to, you need to get into that flow of what it's like and why this is such a loss for Porik, who is really happy tending his donkey, going to the pub, letting the donkey in at night and saying goodnight to his sister. Because he's, in a way, I almost felt like that sort of rhythm that he'd got into was obviously to cope with the fact that they'd lost both of their parents. And having yeah. that, you know, being in the same house, in the same parlour, in the same bedroom or whatever, that was obviously really, really comforting for, you know, such a such a great loss. Whereas obviously his sister, Siobhan, she's, you know, it's almost like, in a way, you know, the, the women in the shop are spiteful to her because it's like, how dare she have dreams and how dare she want to go and better herself, you know, very sort of, you know, <laughs> Irish 1920s mentality. And then obviously you've got Dominic as well, who, you know, Barry Keown, like, how dare you make me cry in the cinema? Like, <laughs> his character. And the thing is, he's presented as such a such a kind and gentle. So although yeah, he is going to set up as this village idiot, you realise, like, there's literally not a bad bone in him, as they say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when he's saying, like, you know, oh, you know, my dad hit me with the kettle, but then he get annoyed because I'd, I'd put a dent in the kettle sort of thing, like you're just like, Jesus, your home life is so awful. And then, but at the same time, he's, you know, obviously trying to crack into girls and the pub and all the rest of it. And, you know, and he's saying, like, you know, putting two fingers up to the idea of going to church on Sunday. But, and there was a couple of lines that he said that really did make me laugh. But at the same time, I was like, fuck, I shouldn't be laughing at that. Like, what is going on in your house? But he was 
incredible. And again, like a really, really small part when you look at the runtime of the film and how much time he was actually on screen, but mm-hmm. just really adding to the impact of, yeah, this this island, this feels like a trap. It, it was really like, it almost sort of brought the walls in, as it were. It was, he was absolutely incredible. Yeah, these sort of roles, the, the likes of the Barry Keogh role, mm-hmm. is almost like a gateway role. It can show his versatility. So that's how he's going to get like major. I know he's been in major films and he was in The Batman. and Or was uh, he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously he was in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer as well, along with Colin Farrell. So yes. he's, got a great, he's got a great range and he's, oh, he's a fantastic abs- actor. Oh. So yeah. Really incredible. I mean, I must admit, Chris would love it if I would stop saying you were sitting there with your big brown cock. He would love that if that would stop. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of the, it was honestly one of the funniest, like the, the walk-in, his dad's obviously sitting there and he's like, well, we'll have to be quiet if he's been at the wink. And like, imagine actually saying that about I your know, dad when you're going into sleep. It, like I said, there were so many lines where I was just pissing myself laughing, but at the same time I was like, actually... I'm laughing at that. That's just revealed so much about, you know, what's going on in your house or your head or whatever. Like, it mm-hmm. it was humour, but humour that you actually went, oh, that's not funny. That's that's really terrible what's going on. So, I mean, I obviously am a big fan of uh, Mark McDonough, but the script here is just like, I mean, you are really, you're, you're right, you have to strap in and focus and, you know, concentrate mm-hmm. on, you know, as I say, being drawn into this this life and in a sharing. But it's, yeah, there's so many lines that, as I say, take your breath away just by your yeah, you laugh at them and then you go, oh, fuck, no, that's that's grim. That's absolutely mm. grim. What's going on there? So, yeah. Yeah, again, those sort of lines work in two ways, like you say. It highlights the fact that maybe I shouldn't be laughing, but also it's a wee release of tension as well because oh, yeah. Yeah. you've had a, a passage of like dialogue that is really very dark. Mm-hmm. And then especially like as, as the film progresses, it gets darker and darker in terms of, uh, the subject matter and like say it's all about yeah. Colm and his state of mind with his and the, dis- and and the despair yeah and it's yes, like the despair yeah. becomes like palpable as in like the despair is almost a character in itself because you're right it gets darker and darker and darker and you're just like where does that like how does this end because it's just there's it's destructive but at the same time it's like there is this kind of as I say, this almost kind of poetry to it, this philosophical thinking of who am I, what do I leave behind? And it's you do, you get swept up in the sort of the beauty of the, the island and the, the sort mm-hmm. of the process of thinking, but at the same time, there is this like literal darkness that is coming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's very much emphasized by the, the score as well, because for the first mm. 30, 40 minutes, it's quite light. It's Irish airs type of what about jigging? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all that sort of stuff. But then, as it progresses, the, the the tone gets darker and it gets more sort of ominous, and it fits in with obviously the visuals on screen, which yeah. doesn't always. It's not always noticed. It's just mm-hmm. sort of taken for granted. But it's really something that you think they've worked on that. They've that's a, an idea that they've had and they've sort of gone with it from day one. Mm-hmm. Let's just change it you know it's, it's almost like t- turning down the brightness as 100%, well, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's kind of kind of scary i thought the way that they did that but yeah it was it was it was excellent so obviously we've talked about barry keon's character what about kerry condon what did you think of her as siobhan i 
again, I just, there was so much of it where I was just like, you know, because she's meant to be what in her twenties, late twenties, early thirties, sort of thing. Yes. So, but again, she's a she's a, oh my god, she's unmarried. Oh my god, she's unmarried and she's in her thirties or whatever. But of course, at the time, it was like you know she may as well have been dead in mm. terms of options because it was unusual for women to be working. It was unusual for women to be making their own choices and to and in her case to choose not to be married because it's quite clear that everyone talks about it as being you know beautiful, intelligent because they all kind of rub sort of ponic up and say how did you know how is that your sister sort of thing so <laughs> I was completely fascinated by the fact that she was she'd clearly made some choices in her life about who she was and who she wasn't and the yeah. fact that you, know, it, you could tell it was taking literally all of her to even think about applying for a job that would literally mean you know to, to be surrounded by books all day which yes. is the dream it really is the dream of course and, is, yeah. and so for her to to give of herself to sorry to achieve what she wanted she had to give up something of herself and that something of herself obviously was life and in a sharing it's life with Porik so yeah I mean you could see the conflict she was going through but at the same time she was just quietly strong as I say you're aware of the choices that she's made or the choices that she's not made because mm -hmm. of the situation that she finds herself in and that again another layer of like fascinating because you know there are women in the village who probably at her age had like 25 kids and a husband that spent all day in the pub but she was making these choices for herself and that must have like genuinely you know I you kind of wanted to applaud her because like for a woman at that time especially in rural Ireland like it must have been impossible and yet here she was doing it it just felt so like empowering in a way to, to watch yeah. her go and achieve what she wanted to yeah because there was a couple of scenes where she was invited by her brother to go to the pub and she was delighted because then it was something to do. She was going out of the house and all that. Mm -hmm. But then the the visits to the pub would end up being her in the middle of their argument. She was trying to be sort of an arbiter between them. Mm -hmm. So even though she was trying to sort out her own problems, she was getting embroiled on her brother's problems mm -hmm. as well, which didn't do her any favours, let's say, because it just meant that there was so much pressure on her. Now, one of the solutions that she came up with for that was she said to Porik, come with me. There's there's nothing here for you anymore. You know, you could do what you're doing somewhere else. It doesn't necessarily need to be here. Fresh start and all that. But he couldn't do that. He his life was there. That's yeah. what he knew. That's not just what he knew, but it's what he wanted to know. He didn't want to know about what was going on in the mainland and everything because he liked the pace mm -hmm. of island life you like the fact that it was quite contained and you know everybody and you, you know where you stand mm -hmm. you know that you can get away with certain things you, you know you don't talk to the women in the shop because she thrives on gossip as well as opening up everybody's letters which I, <laughs> which I thought was illegal but you know <laughs> hey ho <laughs> She um, it was the fact she had to use the steamer and she was like, well, it's because you don't tell me anything, as if that was justification <laughs> for reading her letters, yeah. Yeah, and she didn't even steam them properly back closed and yeah, things like that. Was yeah. just, oh, man. Yeah. And she was that excited when somebody got a letter that she would say, she would say what the contents of it were and <laughs> say, and what do you think about that? You know, are you going to take that job? <laughs> before she even got the chance to she's the, I know and she's standing there with the, the opened envelope going you can just see she was just like what the fuck like Aye. how do you know what's in the envelope but yeah but at the same time it's like and in a way yeah you can draw parallels between Siobhan and, and Colm because obviously she wants more than 
you know that life and calm yeah wants that legacy or to be known as more than you know just the guy that played the fiddle in the, the pub and in, in a shed and that mm-hmm. Poporic doesn't want that he no. thrives on the routine and the safety and the as you say people know him and he can get away with this that and the next thing and and I, but at the same time he was never made out to be like small-minded or insular or unintelligent or anything like that it was just this is just his life and he's just happy with it it mm-hmm. was ne- it was never yeah. it was never a derogatory thing you know yeah it was never well it was relationship between calm and project was never mm-hmm. s- sort of a a relationship of equals but it doesn't need to mm-hmm. be a relationship it doesn't need to be in that way you don't need to be on the same sort of level like intellectually or educationally in order to go on with people and project obviously felt <laughs> I, I think you would be at the top end of that rather than me here no, so no, the but thanks for uh, making me lose my train of thought I'm sorry, really I'm, so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> no what I was going to say is like it it doesn't it didn't matter to project no. he, he knew that his friend was a thinker he was a musician he obviously was well read and he, he understood a, a bit more about the world but like you say Patrick didn't really want that he was no. happy and although they kind of make the joke about you know I think Colin turns at one point and is like you know if I have to listen to one more conversation about what your donkey shit looks like on the living room floor and then he's like well it was stringy not not whatever and he was trying to sort of shout back whatever <laughs> but at the same time like that like he like he says to Colin, like we don't have to like not everything has to be this deep and meaningful conversation. Like, why can't we just chat? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you do, you just need someone who you can just chat to, and it doesn't have to be about the you know, and it's interesting that I think that you know, Colm is looking for deep and meaningful because I'm just, you know, I'm thinking like what were you know guys like in the early 1920s in, in rural Ireland? I can't imagine there was much chat about feelings and stuff like that. And that's why there is so much of this kind of lurking under the surface. But yeah. So in that sense, Colm is the the sort of irregularity here. Do you know what I mean? The, he because he wants depth, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. He's he doesn't want to leave in order to fulfill mm-hmm. what he wants to do. He wants to do it there. It is selfish in a way that the way that he does it but it's it's understandable why he wants to do it but he's obviously looking at it from the the point of view that he needs something to prove his legacy rather than just himself being his legacy mm-hmm. i mean obviously we are going to have a legacy and that down the line people will be saying why was the movie scramble podcast not popular <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's so good <laughs> hysterical but I mean do you not think though like in a way like just (laughs) just like it's a very in a way like and I know he obviously he gives his reference of like you know the is it Mozart that he says you know that they all remember his name and stuff like that but in a way like it's a very modern like problem I or not problem but I think because you know people do have like they have YouTube channels or they have podcasts or they're influencers or whatever it's all about you know ego and all that yeah. sort of thing and it it's a very modern problem but obviously framed in this sort of very early sort of turn of the century way and it's it is you know we're people are still looking for something to leave behind you know whether it's you know 1920s Ireland or now like people do want of course you do you want to be remembered you don't want to mm-hmm. just fade into 
oblivion but obviously his thing was like not just being remembered in that village but being remembered beyond you know for being this yeah. great sort of you know I was going to say fiddler that is the right word but it just sounds weird in this context it does yes uh, yeah, totally but <laughs> that conversation that he was having when he was saying that about Mozart mm. and then Siobhan corrects him because he gets the century you know he's making this mm -hmm. big speech about you know obviously that he knows about Mozart mm -hmm. and everything but then he gets the century wrong that he was actually around uh, and Siobhan corrects him but she doesn't do it right away she, she waits till he's finished yeah. because she's respectful of him yet she wants to point out you may think you know stuff but there are other people who know more than you do so you know just yeah. bear, bear that in mind just for a couple of minutes while you're you're, you're putting somebody down because they don't know about the the outside world and things like that so yeah, i thought that was very nicely done it was quite subtle uh, yeah the way and that again, that was kind of dropped in there yeah and definitely more sort of evidence of her like sense of self and power because she didn't need to make a big scene it was just like well actually it was just kind of like this wee sort of bomb dropped at the end and then you know off she went to go and you know get Porrick or whatever who in the meantime was like well i've actually never heard of mozart so this speech is a waste of time sort of thing. <laughs> nice nice so obviously it was shot on an island, but it was a obviously the, the island was fictionalized. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the the use of locations? Did you think that kind of worked you know, well? I loved it. Do you know the thing is, I always remember I'm talking about my grand's village in Ireland, which is like literally a street long, exactly like this, with the pub at the end of it, and you know even the house, the house set up with the parlour and then like the rooms off it and stuff like that was something that but just because of you know my family trees that were something that feels very familiar because it's always been talked yeah. about in that way but I think they made the most of the fact that it's not like their neighbours and everyone's on top of each other there's huge space between the houses and the pub and the and the shop because you have to go to the other side of the island and stuff like that to get to it so there is all this open space and there's obviously lots of overhead shots of the, the island and beautiful, you know, sort of rolling hills and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, it does feel like everybody's on top of each other. So it's really mm -hmm. well done because they're using these visuals to show how sparsely populated the place is and how much of a pain in the arse it is to go and get your, your milk and bread and all the rest of it. But at the same time, there is this like, you know, you know exactly what's going on at every point in that island because you do have these communal hubs like the pub or the grocers or whatever and I think yeah. in a way kind of cheesy obviously community spirit people looking out for each other there is a kind of safety in this you know people knowing who you are and all that sort of thing but also just how stifling that can be as well so it, it really it plays perfectly with everything that he's trying to convey in the the script yeah totally totally agree with you I thought it was very nicely done and that it complemented the story like you say with the, the wide open spaces and yet mm -hmm. everybody's on top of each other and everybody knows everybody else's business without the fact without even having things like telephones people knew what was going on within others mm -hmm. because somebody would, you know, like at the very start Padgett goes to the pub and basically tells everybody <laughs> that Colm's not talking to him so everybody knows then so uh, and that <laughs> <laughs> so it's like gossip just gets around from that and then other people are saying oh here you're not talking to him anymore and that kind of thing so it's yeah, yeah. and calm has a sort of very brusque manner about him when yeah. he's when he's walking it's 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 very deliberate it's like the long coat on the hat on head down you know mm -hmm. striding with purpose but i mean he's going to the pub or he's you know it's just he's not doing anything like 
ultimately important, but he's obviously trying to, I don't know, it's, it's almost like bettering yourself by like physical movement and what you, how you present yourself as well, you know? But also I feel it's sort of given this kind of like slightly standoffish thing because it was, it was very like, it was closed off, like yes. body language and costuming and all the rest of it. And what I could, under, about halfway through, I was sitting thinking, he's still in the bloody pub every day. Why couldn't he just stay friends with him? He could do his music in the morning and stay friends with him in the afternoon. And I was starting to get really annoyed with him. Mm-hmm. But I think it was this, and it, and yeah, the way he moved, the way he conducted, everything was very like, you know, it was like, you know, he would shrug the coat on or the hat. And it, as you say, it was head down and walk and everything about him. It just felt that kind of abrasive way. And it did mm-hmm. sort of, at times, make me go, oh, he's been a total shit. Like, whereas Colin Farrell's character is obviously, as I say, very affable, very chatty, you know, that sort of, you know, typical sort of Irish charm or whatever you want to call it. And so you are sort of, you do direct these feelings of you are being a dick to... Uh, Brendan Gleeson's character but at the same time he has these these really beautiful moments in this you know confessional box which I mean the priest is probably telling everybody that you've done it all but at the yeah. same time it was just that heartbreak of yeah the despair's back again you're like fuck okay it's not that you're being terrible it's that you're actually just you know your your mind is sort of letting you down as it were or you're clearly struggling with your mental health and it you change your feelings about the character a lot, but you're right. Everything about his physicality at first, you're like, oh no, I, you're not. Because whereas Colin Farrell sort of striding along, really continual that sort of thing, but his is very closed and sharp, and yeah, just a just a mean boy. <laughs> mm. What did you think of Colin Farrell's knitwear? Oh my god! If we <laughs> honestly, if we all thought that. What Chris Evans did for the cable knit sweater and knives out. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I've already seen people on Twitter going, Where can I get a red jumper with a collar? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he somehow made 1920s rural Ireland look a bit sexy. Won't lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah the yeah, knitwear yeah. was, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it was definitely on point. Yeah, it was. Apparently, it's, it was made especially for him. It's somebody that does that. Oh, it's somebody's big granny. Who still no, lives in a cottage no like yeah. that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was in much warmer colours as well. So obviously you do have yes. the red sweater and stuff like that, whereas you know, obviously very, very obvious in this like film criticism 101 here, whereas you know, Colm was constantly in blacks and browns and greys. And to be fair, the vast majority of people wear because bright colours weren't really a thing at that time, but just mm. a couple of splashes of his knitwear or maybe a shirt or something like that was definitely a much warmer shade of maybe like a like an orange or a burgundy or something like that that, that obviously was supposed to draw you into his to his character yeah no no definitely yeah yeah so the film has been universally praised as far as i can see based on what i've been looking at and there's every chance that it's going to be up there in consideration for awards i personally think it's well worth a shout for both actors and definitely the director because uh, obviously the, the director wrote it as well so there's mm-hmm. an awful lot of him in that and I wouldn't be surprised if it was talked about at the very least come award season Oh, I, I think there's call for, for both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson what will be interesting to see is if they put them up for both for best actor because mm. 
for me, Barry Keown, best supporting actor, that should be a, that should absolutely be a thing. He should absolutely yeah. walk away with with an Oscar or a BAFTA or whatever. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they pitch both, as I say, Farrell and Gleeson as, as as best actor. Um, I definitely think Martin McDonagh will get a lot of attention. Obviously, Three Billboards did really well for Francis McDormand and stuff like that as well. So. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I, he kind of fascinates me as a as a filmmaker and a writer. You know, he's obviously done tackled these you know big sort of sweeping issues with three billboards, and this film feels almost like quiet and contained, and yet at the same time it is dealing with really really big big issues, as it were. So yeah, no, I, I would love to see this this sweep the boards, quite honestly. Yeah, it's just films about ordinary people in rural mm-hmm. or rural and not sort of fast paced settings even the likes of in bruges was like that because it was like two guys hiding out it wasn't an action film in any way it was very much a mm-hmm. character piece so yes it's i would like to see it getting some recognition that way as well as obviously the the recognition it's got in terms of being a success at the box office and critical success as well so i take it you would recommend this film I think this might be my film of the year so far. Ooh. So absolutely, yes. I think, do you know, it's funny because I saw this in Western Front within a week of each other and I was like, oh, Western Front, film of the year. And then I saw this and I was like, actually, it might be Banshees. So mm-hmm. yeah, I absolutely recommend it. It is, it's just quietly heartbreaking. I loved mm-hmm. it. Yep. I would agree with you in that it's one of the films of the year. Definitely up there. I haven't, been anywhere near my list yet in terms of figuring out what's going to be on it but I can pretty much guarantee that this will be there I put it this way I, I can't think of 10 other films that are better than it that I've seen this year so I know yeah. right I mean that's the Definitely thing it's, it's, it's fantastic I think that I think it'll top a lot of critics lists put it that way but that's not a bad thing like I, I mm-hmm. like when films like this I mean don't get me wrong I'm not naive enough to think that this didn't cost like you know it wasn't made for a fiver like I'm not mm-hmm. There was obviously budget and stuff involved there, but I love when films like this that, that do feel that little bit more contained and that little bit smaller do so well and really touch. And, it, and it's touching people because, you know, we've all felt these things. I think that's, you know, testament to his writing as well to really draw that out of his audience. Yeah, totally, totally. So that's us. We are done. Another podcast under the belt. I believe this is 51, maybe, 51, I think. I think, yeah. Done, yeah. So, yeah. We're over the hump, over the 50 hump. Considering the most, <laughs> yeah, considering the most podcasts only last about 10 episodes. And then ah, we're, chuck what it. A breeze. we're uh, smashing it. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've found so much more to talk about <laughs> than we initially thought. So that's it for us this time. Uh, you can find us at all the normal social media channels. And if you want to get in touch with us, please get hold of us on Twitter, whatever. You can also email us at podcast at moviescramble.co.uk if you've got any suggestions. I know that a certain person from the Bang Bang podcast has been Mm -hmm. actively campaigning to come on and I don't know if we'll talk about Lyle Lyle Crocodile, but um, (laughs) we'll, we'll definitely get something arranged with him. Obviously with Mr. Simpson back in fold as well. That would be pretty good since with two people who know what they're talking about in terms of wrestling and there's there'll be two people who don't really know what they're talking about in terms of wrestling uh but yes please get in touch with us if you've got any suggestions for anything you would like us to cover we are probably going to cover all quite in the western front next given that 
Mary has seen it and loved it and I am going to try and catch it over the weekend on Netflix. So we shall hopefully be doing a wee record of that over the next week and there's always plenty coming out so I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about then as well. So from myself and from young Mary, who's an awful <laughs> lot younger than I am, I shall see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.